Hi, this is Steve Roost, and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week, we give you the best news, views, and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians, the companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Welcome to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. My name is Steve Roost and each week I bring you the best news views and interviews with the entrepreneurs and leaders driving the health tech revolution in the UK and beyond. I am a CEO and founder of a health tech company myself and I'm passionate about the people and companies who are changing the world. Before I introduce this week's guest, please make sure you follow us on the socials. Um, It's at Health Tech Hour, and make sure you follow at UK Health Radio as well to stay on top of all of the great guests that we have on the station. So as regular listeners will know, this show is really all about the people and companies who are changing the world in their own area of health tech. We had a huge response last week when we had Max Kirsting on from Regimen, who was talking about how erectile dysfunction can mask a huge host of other way more serious issues within, um, within men's health and how they are using digital solutions to address that. We also had a huge response to the show with Katrin Falkend, who's using digital platform to uh, revolutionize the care pathway for sufferers of polycystic ovary syndrome. So each of these people and companies are developing their own revolutionary health tech, but it's really focused in one, one area, their area. But today's guest, Neelan Patel, is in the unique position of running an organization whose literal central mission is to change the world across the board and advance health tech, support entrepreneurs and clinicians to accelerate their pace of development so that basically the future gets here quicker. The organization is called MedCity and is probably one of the most important organizations in the UK health tech industry at the moment. And Neelan Patel is CEO, which makes her by definition one of the most influential people in UK health tech right now. So Neelam, how are you? Welcome to the show. Uh, I'm really well, thank you, Steve. And, and thank you for that brilliant, uh, brilliant introduction. And thank you for inviting me. Oh, no problem. Look, we try, you know, this show is all about showcasing people that are doing amazing things. So it's, it's really the least that we could do. Um, how are things going for you and MedCity during the pandemic? Are you, what's the mood in the camp? Um, well, what can I say? I mean, the team have been brilliant, actually. We have it's probably coming up to a year now where we've not been office based and yeah I mean it's tough and we've got a very small team actually and a a number of them are younger than I am I have to say and do like uh, you know being social and uh, having face-to-face interaction with other team members and also our clients I mean I'm I'm at Venage where I can probably balance both so I mean credit to them the fact that they've uh, you know been able to um, manage in, in a home environment and, and still be productive and do loads of great things. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's we're doing as well as everybody else, I think, in this situation. 
Good. Well, that's good to hear. So um, as regular listeners will know, this show takes three parts or it consists of three parts. The first part is really more of an origin. So how you came to be doing what you're doing today. The middle part is really what you're doing right now to change the world, which which I know having done our pre-production call is pretty significant. And there's a lot of really exciting stuff that we're going to talk about. And then the final part is around how and what will the future hold. Um, and we can kick around some issues of the day, um, potentially trying to stay off of covid um, if we can, but you know, it's one of those things that generally comes up in most conversations at the moment. Um, so to kick off, let's talk about how did you get started in, in health tech? Um, so that's, it's an interesting question. And I'm sure like um, many of your previous um, guests, it, it probably wasn't a, a well-crafted sort of journey. It certainly wasn't in my view, my, my um, sort of start. And I guess I, well, I ended up doing a degree in biomedical sciences, actually, which is very broad. And um, largely that was because my father pushed me into doing science. I was very happy to do actually um, art and needlework. I really loved it and biology. And and he sort of convinced me that actually you're probably not going to get the job you want by doing art and needlework. Okay. And um, so so I ended up in in quite a broad science base, but... I sort of knew at that point in time that, that I was quite interested in technology. I'd actually done an O-level in computer science and learned okay. coding BBC Basics. So that gives some clues okay. to how well nice. I am. All right. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, a bit of a clue. And, and I'm, I was the proud owner of an Amstrad word processor at university. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> that gives I, yeah, me another okay. clue. Right. Um, but I, I guess my sort of real interest... Um, started uh, in in well health tech I guess is is when I joined the pharmaceutical industry and, and health tech um, well health tech wasn't really known in the pharmaceutical industry at that time right. in a sense um, I was really fortunate in having uh, many roles actually within the industry um, at the time and, and when I joined actually it was the era of the blockbuster so okay. I was involved in quite a number of, of um, you know, pharmaceutical medicines that, that change people's lives quite dramatically. I mean, um, what, one of my areas was uh, the development of Ondansetron, and, which is known as Zofran, which is a, a, an antiemetic okay. indicated for people with chemotherapy or on wow. chemotherapy. So, um, and that I mean, was a blockbuster in its own right. Yes, in, indeed. I mean, uh, th- and that was the first of its class. I mean, as, as many people know, if, if you're a cancer patient, you're undergoing chemotherapy. One of the biggest put-offs is, is the feeling of nausea. So this actually, you know, dramatically changed people's tolerance to, to chemotherapy. Um, so I, I sort of, uh, you know, d- did quite a number of roles, as I, as I said. And I think mm. in, in the pharmaceutical industry, there, there are a couple of things that stuck, stuck in my mind, actually. Um, one was um, that the fact that when I was in clinical operations, I was a part of a, a group that worked with Disney, actually, which is quite okay. interesting when you're in a pharmaceutical company. Disney. And yes, why, why you may ask. And that was because it was really important in the industry to understand um, you know, disease uh, from, from the shoes of a patient. And okay. who better to know about, uh, you know, um, well, not patients necessarily, but, you know, customers and offering a, a fantastic customer experience than Disney. And so right. 
um, we try to translate some of that into the patient experience and to okay. understand what they were going through in their um, sort of treatment can, journey. Can you can you give any examples of stuff that made the cuts of what actually got implemented in a patient journey that you sort of gleaned from those meetings with Disney? That'd be super interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I, I think so. So I, I mean, for example, at the time I was working in clinical trials and um, you know, for, for those people that have worked in clinical trials, actually getting patients um, uh, interested in participating in a trial um, is, is hard, uh, right. but then actually keeping them in a trial is hard also. And, right. and, and just to kind of explain to, to people listening, in case you're not familiar with clinical trials, this is about testing new drugs. Indeed, yes. And, and in fact, more than new drugs, because even, uh, you know, digital technologies need to go through trials to make sure that they're safe and effective. Yep. Um, so, I mean, the Disney experience really taught us that um, even helping a patient getting a space in a car park so that they can visit and be participate, participate in a clinical trial at a hospital is important to them. That's right. part of the experience because the worst thing you do is a patient who is coming in for a, a treatment that's on trial, they can't even find a parking space or they can't right. even, you know, get um, comfortable in the waiting area. Uh, and so all of those little things help um, in, in, you know, supporting patients. And how important is it to ensure that people don't drop out of a trial? Sounds like a simple question, but sort of, I think it might be one of the things that people don't necessarily think about, like people go into trials, but actually how important is it that that cohort or some minimum cohort finish the trial? Uh, well, it's it's hugely important. And I think it's important for a number of reasons. One is that the company's invested a lot of money in developing uh, the treatment. And it, uh, in order to get the statistically the right number of patients to actually mm. infer um, the right outcome and the right conclusion, it, it's important that all the recruited patients continue wherever possible. So, um, so, and the, so, yes. so, and the idea that somebody might drop out of a clinical trial because they couldn't find a parking space is kind of, that's, yeah, I mean, that seems a bit crazy, doesn't it? But I could see it happening. Yeah, totally, actually. Um, so, so that was the Disney experience. And then the, the other experience also that falls on health tech is my, uh, you know, I was really fortunate to be involved in a very early program of work uh, with the European Innovative Medicines Initiative, which was mm -hmm. called Electronic Health Records for Clinical Research. Now, this was a number of years ago, and the ambition was, you know, how can health record, patient health records be used to speed up um, research and development uh, mm. and, and to get better outcomes for patients. Um, and this was a European-wide project with an alliance of industry, academia, um, as, as well as hospitals. And I mean, for me, it was, it was just a hugely challenging project because uh, the way that patient records are stored in hospitals are so different. How can you right. even create platforms to do that? Um, and then how can you actually use that information to translate into research? So that was the start of data, health data right. for me. Okay. Um, 
which was important. And then um, another experience I had um, was um, around uh, um, the NIHR and working with the National Institute of Health Research. So you'll see a common thread here around research. Yeah, yeah I know. I, I know. I, I'm reading your CV and, and, and your bio and talking about it last week. There's definitely a thread where it's trying to help facilitate people to develop things. By, by yeah. you know whether that be trials or any other methodology totally yeah and i think for me uh, nihr um, enabled me to bring industry experience into the nhs and research environment um, so sorry go on no no you go ahead i was going to say just for everyone listening maybe it would be super helpful if you could just explain what the nihr is and why it matters i know why it matters and i think anyone with any kind of sort of you know um, medical company of any kind will know what it is but what is it and why does it matter um so i love i love that statement of yours um so what is it the national institute of health research is it's really the research arm of the nhs so it's it's centrally funded by the government um, to enable uh, research clinical research to be done in in the clinical environment and this mm. can be um, uh, research is sponsored by industry and it can be research that's sponsored by academia and charities mm -hmm. um, and it and it's important it, it matters because this is the way that we start to innovate and bring new treatments to patients fundamentally yeah. and it's effectively my, my understanding was that we've 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 interacted with it to um, secure our own clinical trial protocol for for PocDoc um, and my, my understanding of it is really that it, it among among other things it sort of lays down the gold standard for clinical trials you know evidence generation for you know anything within within med tech health tech healthcare um, whether it comes from a university whether it comes from private enterprise whether it comes from the NHS is that is that correct as well uh, yeah, absolutely. And it'd be interesting to hear your experience of how you found navigating the NIHR, because the NIHR, like the NHS, consists of multiple organisations. And um, uh, some of them are, are dedicated to med tech um, development, others, uh, you know, uh, topic specific or other pharmaceuticals. Mm. Um, and and yes, they are. They they work very closely with agencies to um, provide gold standards in in how to conduct clinical research and also how to provide infrastructure. Actually, they provide infrastructure okay. staff as well to conduct uh, those studies. So yes. Okay. Presumably, they were heavily involved or have been heavily involved in the COVID vaccine side of things. I would assume. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yes, in terms of the vaccine trials, in terms of um, evaluating uh, the, the new technologies such as lateral flow tests. Okay. So, absolutely, very well embedded into the clinical systems. Okay. I want to just jump back to something that you said about your time in pharma, and then we'll come back again to the NIHR. Um, so you said that when you were in pharma, it was all about the blockbuster drug and the blockbuster drug is sort of like, you know, Viagra or whatever it is. Viagra is a very common one that people throw around, which is suddenly someone invents something that just explodes worldwide. But at what point did you, at what point, or was it already happening when you were there that people started to kind of, or pharma started to look beyond drugs into other areas of health tech did you what, what, when did you start to notice that that was happening um, so, so, so it was starting to happen and, and actually some of it 
was prompted by the challenges in um, internalizing research and development. So, um, you know, at the time I started, very much R and D was within the walls of the actual company. There was yeah. little sort of collaboration that was done, um, and and through different factors that started to change. And, and actually, the value of bringing different collaborations to the table became very apparent. Actually, okay, um, and the need to diversify. So. Um, that absolutely then led to more um, interest in health tech, uh, particularly diagnostics, um, yeah. and also then looking at, you know, for example, and, and this is your area in a sense, for example, a patient with diabetes, you know, sometimes it's not it's not enough for the patient just to have the treatment for diabetes, but mm -hmm. they may also need nutritional aids, yeah. know, information sources, they may need reminders as to when to they take their medication. Um, you know, those sorts yeah. of companion uh, com sort of interventions are needed. And then, of course, you need uh, all the emphasis of early diagnosis also yeah. is, is hugely important. So the industry sort of did start to morph d definitely into what we know today, um, which is which is a very different sort of field, and which is why MedCity is quite exciting actually, because um, you know it encompasses some of those. Well, changes. you're you're at the heart of it all. You're the beating heart of health tech in the UK. That's the way I like to think about it. So going back to the NIHR, um, one of your roles there was around making it easier for commercial enterprise to get trials done. Why? Why does that matter? Why does it matter that that? Why, why does it matter that that it's easy or easier for for private enterprise to run trials? Um, well, it it's hugely important to make sure that from a, a business and a commercial point of view, they can capitalise on the amount of time they have for their IP. You know, right. the, they minimise the time that. Um, uh, you know that it takes to evaluate uh, that that product, and they have maximum time to commercialize. I mean, that that's just from because a, but, but, because otherwise, if that didn't exist, then they wouldn't invent the thing in the first place. Totally, totally, yes. And the other the other reason is that you know we're we're not a single island, the UK. We're part of a, a globe, you know, a, a global community, and a business isn't tied to coming to the UK to do their research. They can go anywhere. So yep. there is an element of the UK being competitive. Right. Um, it, it's hugely important that we do our utmost not to compromise, you know, safety and the standards mm -hmm. of evaluation, but we also try and make it quicker. You know, it's got okay. to be about efficiency and, and productivity as well. So okay. it was really exciting for me to then um, help to, to bring some of that industry sort of demand I guess or need to mm. the NIHR at that point in time because it, it helped to bring different perspectives and challenge the status quo. And what were some of the if, if, if you hadn't done that or if there hadn't have been that mentality there whether you introduced it or you sort of accelerated it where do you think or what do you think is the risk um, you know if, if, if companies aren't necessarily able to find a you know, highly productive, highly professional, highly safe way in the UK to bring their their products through to market? Um, well, well, the risk of not having that environment is that um, the UK ends up getting less research, ultimately. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, we know that, you know, NIHR and other players are working very hard to, to, to make sure that we're still leading. And, and the fantastic thing is that 
you know, there's a huge capability, you know, there's a huge expertise in terms of the institutions we have that, that's able to provide the, um, uh, you know, the expertise that's needed to, to enable these, this research to go on. But, but very mm -hmm. simply, you know, there, there is a cycle time issue in some of this as well. So uh, it all needs to work together. Yeah, I mean, we know from from our side, you know, there's a there's a noticeable difference in the resources and signposting and and um, you know sort of productivity that's available within the UK infrastructure. And for example, when you look at the FDA and the US infrastructure, you know, it's it's um, it's so far seems to be a lot clearer uh -huh, in the UK um, and a lot easier to find organizations like the NIHR. So for us, they actually helped us quite significantly in crafting what our trial protocol would be. Um, whereas I think in the US, it's more sort of, you know, you send it in and you hope and then you might get some feedback or it might not. Or, you know, it's, it's a bit of a black box and the online resources and there isn't really that much there. And it's very much left to, up to you to try and figure something out and then you, you post it off and what you get back might not be what you expect sort of thing. Well, that, well, that it's great to hear that experience, actually, because, um, you know, I, I think a few years ago, it, it, I probably wouldn't have heard you say that. So. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were really impressed with the NHR. We really were. That, that's that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when and how did you hear about MedCity? Uh, well, I was working at CW Plus actually, and yeah. so that that was probably my last. Um, Which is like uh, the, the it, CW Plus is kind of like the innovation hub of the Chelsea and Westminster. Indeed, actually, yeah. So I I left industry um, largely to con con continue that experience that I had uh, with the NIHR to try and, and see if I could uh, you know make change happen elsewhere or be involved in uh, other parts of innovation development and. Um, CW Plus is where I heard about MedCity and CW Plus was fantastic learning for me because mm. it was the first time I actually came face to face with clinicians wanting to innovate in okay. digital technology. Right. Um, and uh, the, the charity were developing this program to promote innovation coming from within, which was brilliant. Um, and I mean, I just there were two experiences there or well, two examples of, that were amazing for me. One was working with an anaesthetist who was using gamification to uh, pre-op to distract children so that okay. they could be anaesthetized. Um, and and I, I just remember uh, working with the anaesthetist. I had no time whatsoever. And so I had to go in and snatch 15 minutes in the cubicle just to understand the <laughs> What are you trying to do here and etc and and actually the, the the main problem is is clinician time obviously and the other yeah. problem was scaling up and yeah. I'm, I'm sure you understand the pressures of scaling up mm -hmm. um so you can develop a, a technology um for, for the place it's going to be used but then you know how do you actually then um get it wide, widely adopted well especially if the clinician is is some kind of uh, if a, if a working clinician is in a senior role in that organization that then becomes a real time crunch so i think it's from what i've seen and this this has come from working particularly with a lot of the cohort on the digital accelerator and also some of the, the companies that med city supports you can see that a lot of them have, have started with a clinician founder and then used that platform to build up a kind of organization around them that can then take that 
and scale that up because you know for a clinician if they want to continue being a clinician it seems to me to be quite a struggle to then expect them to run and scale a sort of private enterprise but that's I don't know what you think. Um, I, I agree with you although um, you know I've, I've seen some success stories for sure where you know some some people are running clinics at the same time and, yeah. and to be honest. Um, it's amazing. Yeah and 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 you'll know uh, I mean, one of, one of the key components of having a, a good innovation is by having early clinical input. So, yeah, I mean, what's sure. not to like if you're a clinician to start with, right? So, you know. Yeah, them. yeah. Um, I, I have been quite jealous sometimes of, of, of clinicians and sort of companies because it's like, you know, a lot of companies, if they haven't got that internally, then, you know, you go through this big process of finding clinical input and clinical people to work with. Whereas, you know, some of the other people, they just they have it in-house. They are clinicians. Absolutely. I mean, how did you how did you get your clinical input? Just as we're talking. So about? early on, we we recognised that it was critical to us, um, and we we've been lucky enough to have a number of investors who have backgrounds in in either health tech or healthcare, um, particularly in primary care. So um, through our investor network, we've been connected to a number of sort of key key clinicians who have taken an interest in what we're doing. I think that was the big thing for us. Um, it might be consistent across other health tech companies is that there are just so many clinicians and they all do very different things and they all have a they're very busy and b they have a very specific often a very specific um, uh, sort of discrete interest set so you you need to find or we we had to find kind of champions of what we were doing mm-hmm. and that had that belief in us and they've been working with us for a while now um, but we're, we're looking for more and actually talking about sort of bringing a, a full-time clinical director on at the moment so yeah watch this space but no it's definitely something that that we, we identified early on um, partly because if you're looking to work with the NHS which we which we are you need to make sure that that you are aligned with the needs at the level and the area that you want to operate at as early as possible because probably where you think you are is probably not exactly where you're going to end up and so the sooner that you find that out and you can begin that journey the better as opposed to you know spending two or three years developing something only to find out that you know what you've done just isn't a fit yeah 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 that that is not a good place to be um but no. so you, you asked how I joined med yeah so med city how did you hear about it? you're at cw plus yes yeah, yeah, so, so then so I, I actually it was because um, of my research background and MedCity was forming at that time. Um, it, it, the whole premise of MedCity is making London and the UK world leaders in life sciences for yeah. the growth of the economy and for the benefit of patients and clinical research, clinical trials, hugely important for that. How can we make sure that we grow research capability? Um, and so I was asked actually to be a, a sort of advisor and an expert in this area okay um, working with companies to help them find what they were looking for in terms of research obviously I had the connections with NIHR I knew about yeah. the NHS I knew about industry so that that was my start with MedCity wasn't that I mean was there anything like MedCity around when it started I know it didn't start that long ago it was like seven or eight years ago maybe maybe right. somewhere around that but it feels like when you explain it like that and what I know about it you know, it's still an unbelievably innovative organization with an incredible mission. So I'm sort of like, well, wasn't that quite, there must've been quite a lot of foresight displayed by the people that set that up, you know, eight years ago, right? I mean, that's a really insightful comment, actually. Um, Was there anything else 
Um, not not that I know about actually. And um, I mean that there were a class. I mean we're we're classed as a cluster organisation, and I think okay. that there were. Uh, and places like Boston, for example, very well developed um, life sciences sector. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, Cambridge is another area. Yes, in, indeed. So uh, the the founders actually, who are the London Academic Health Science Centres, um, uh, uh, and I can explain who, who they are, as well as the Greater London Authority, uh, did have the foresight really to say, well, together, uh, you know, Imperial Kings and UCL pretty good as institutions <laughs> yeah uh, people know. have heard of them <laughs> that's right they're usually in the top 10 of world leading universities yeah. um, the academic health science centers were set up to translate the science from the universities into uh, the nhs and, and healthcare practice um, and if we sort of club together then we would be even better than we would be individually and then you know, we do have the potential to, to be a global leader. So that, that yeah. was the sort of premise of it. And uh, and actually, what an exciting then opportunity yeah, incredible. to be to be there. And we're, we're not the only cluster organisation in the UK. So there is the Northern yeah. Health Science Alliance um, that works with the uh, academic universities or the, the universities in, in the north. Um, there's Northern Ireland and Hirani, there's Medi Wales, uh, okay. Wales and Scotland. So cluster organisations have started to develop with the mm. same premise and, and actually moving forward, fast forward, uh, it's of great value for us now to work closer together because, uh, again, you know, we're about the UK. Um, it's yeah. not necessarily about a region and that's why it's very, you know, it's very important what? to do that. And, and also, and, and also, it's kind of, I and mean, we've definitely, we definitely come across this where, you know, um, I don't know, there might be lots of people that don't know, but there are these things called academic health science networks um, in the UK, which is a sort of an offshoot. They're, they're sort of designed to sit between the NHS and private enterprise to help innovation enter the NHS in a more sort of systematic, productive manner um, from outside the NHS. And they're all sort of divided up, and it's all done regionally and things like that. And the, the, the great thing about health tech is that if you invent something that's good in one region, kind of by definition, there's a very high likelihood that it might be good in other regions as well. So it's interesting that you say, actually, it's sort of, although there is this regional element to it, we're all really pulling in the same direction. And actually, something that works in one place is highly likely to work in another. Yeah, um, it, it should be, but we know it does. It sounds sort of easier on paper than it probably works yep. in practice um that's true um and 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 in some respects that's why we do work with uh, you know ahsns and hscs because um we're, we're sort of very much on the ground we're, we're practical we're small we're quite agile we pick things up very quickly and are able to then um you know uh, we're important players to, to then share some of that insight up um, as well as convene players on the ground. So yeah. where we think there's a common theme that we're picking up, let's work together to address it. And yeah. because we're objective, we're neutral, we don't have an agenda in that sense. No. It's much easier for us to do that. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And so what um, what are MedCity focused on at the moment? What are your big, big areas? So there are, there are three key things, and a lot of them are born out of the strengths of the region itself. So as I, as I mentioned, one of um, our key elements is to drive inward investment, to drive growth of the sector and drive internationals to come and establish. And they'll only do that if they know that there's 
strength uh, and capability. So those three areas are um, advanced therapies. Um, you know, London, uh, at least last year, were second in the world in terms of advanced therapies clinical trials, which is, you know, very, very um, impressive. Uh, the second is diagnostics, and it's okay. that's your world. Close to my heart. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and obviously, we've seen the importance of that last year. And um, yeah. I can tell you a little bit about why we've chosen diagnostics as it's been one area. And the third, again, close to you, is digital data and AI. And, yeah. um, we've seen, obviously, so many technologies now emerging with uh, AI as being the core, the need to access data, um, digital, um, and being part of digital health. London obviously helps that call. So those are the, the three things. So, let, so where, where do you want to start? Because I want to kind of give a bit of an overview about what you're doing in each one. And I know you've got some kind of, you know, some things to mention in each one. So where, where would you like to start across all of those? Um, well, we can we can start in advanced therapies, if, if you like. Please. I mean, advanced um, therapies. So as, as, I, as I mentioned, really, a, a lot of our involvement in advanced therapies have come from the research that's been happening within the universities about novel treatments, gene therapies that can revolutionize, you know, patient lives and, and cure people. Right. Um, and one of, I mean, there, there are a few things really to mention. Uh, it's it's a niche area. There's, it, it's very expert. And what uh, we found was that, that the value of growing this is is largely about creating a community. Okay. But one of the, the important things is, is creating community and the ability to um, uh, enable companies to interact with researchers for collaboration. So, right. Is, is it because a lot of it, is it because of this area, advanced therapies, gene therapy is so high tech, if you like, and cutting edge? A lot of it is still within universities. Yeah, so, uh, it is. But also then there's been a lot of investment from the government to develop advanced therapy treatment centres, right. for example. So okay. we are seeing these treatments come now into into practice, into the community, which is, I mean, which is, you know, being transformational. But but still, you know, it, it's not always the, 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 the sort of primary pathway. And okay. so there is a journey. Um, yeah. you know, there's still a journey to follow. And so we created uh, with um, the network of universities and London Advanced Therapies, a, a community uh, okay. to allow uh, innovators and companies to network with the NHS and academia. Um, and it's this community sort of spirit that helps the shared learning best practice and, and bring about bigger things. Okay. Uh, and the other thing that, that we've done also within that um, program is a collaboration program that um, match makes companies with researchers. So okay. projects are, are then yield some really positive outcomes, which then go back to what you're saying, speeding up that R&D pathway. Okay. Okay. Um, so that, that's, that's been successful. I think, as I said, you know, we've seen trials grow. That's not just down to us. It's a, it's a whole you know ecosystem effort has there been any kind of are there any specific diseases that have been worked on more than others or anything that springs to mind um i mean not nothing that springs to, to mind um i, I mean that there is much of this work is, is going on around the institutions um in in london so um, great ormond street working right. on pediatric morefield's working on eye so Okay. Uh, you know, there, there are pockets of, of this already happening. Mm. Um, absolutely. 
Okay. Yes, I know that we had um, we had Daniel Rook on um, over Christmas, and he's the co-founder of something called Start Codon, which is an accelerator out of, of Cambridge, and a huge number of their cohort are focused on gene editing therapies um, within the cancer cancer space. So um, yeah, it's really- it's hugely hugely exciting. Yeah, I mean, big area, actually, immunology and, and, and the cancer area, for sure. And, and actually, there's a, a lot of interest from the Asian market to come and collaborate in that area as well. OK. The expertise in London. So. And, and are you are you almost in, almost in the role of an, the role of honest broker in that situation because of your reputation and because of your position? you're able to connect inbound interest, inbound investment in a nice, honest way with where it's best suited to go. Absolutely, yeah. And and so, I mean, the team are, are brilliant, really. They're, we have a huge range of expertise that allows us to um, almost, um, you know, sift out what genuinely would be a match for the interests and the capability and capacity of the region so it, right. it just aids a more efficient sort of process if you like yeah for sure because i can imagine that you know universities or having someone that's able to triage that mm. effectively with, with with subject knowledge with context actually would be extremely helpful yeah for, for sure um so diagnostics shall diagnostics I touch on that so yeah Diagnostics has been an interesting area. Um, uh, yeah, it's kind of kind of come into the kind of come into the limelight since um, since yeah. March last year in a big way. Indeed, indeed. So we we sort of came across that um, through work that we did with universities on the testing alliance. So this yep. is um, actually, which is an interesting interesting scenario. That so at the time, obviously, there was a huge need for increasing testing capacity, PCR testing. Yeah. And um, the the universities, London universities, were, were very keen to help and pivot their capabilities to support that. Mm-hmm. Um, as it happened. Uh, you know, we stepped in to say, well, you know, one university can provide X amount of tests, but four universities can provide 20,000 tests a day. Right. Let's, let's go for that. Okay. Um, and so we... And so, uh, so wait, just a second. So when COVID sort of started to kick off, I guess, what, like, mm-hmm. when did it hit your radar? Feb, or were you guys a bit earlier and a bit a bit ahead of the curve? Um, so, so the universities themselves were obviously... I mean, uh, Imperial was already in the news doing epi, epi stuff and right. uh, you know, doing the disease modelling and things okay. like that. So there was a lot of research sort of picking it up. In terms of the testing itself, I mean, that was from sort of March onwards, really, when, right. um, uh, you know, we had the Lighthouse Labs and then we right. realised, um, or you know, everybody realised actually we needed to ramp up testing. And that's yeah. when um, institutions started to become involved. Um and so the testing alliance really then is a, is a partnership of four universities having now the infrastructure to do PCR testing at scale. Um, and, and this has been interesting because you've got fantastic clinical academic expertise doing this because they come from brilliant universities. Yeah. And therefore, fast forward, what we've built really is a capability for diagnostics evaluation. Um, yeah. And, and you know implementation so to speak so taking that forward um uh, we've we've now developed or are developing what we're calling a diagnostics growth hub so during that period we also heard from companies who were really keen to 
uh, obviously help with the pandemic, um, but not only help, there were companies doing other things like early cancer diagnosis, cardiovascular, yep. which are obviously also really important. Um, but I think it's, as you say before, you know, navigation to understanding where to put their offer was quite hard. Um, some of them needed sort of tissue samples and all sorts of yep. things. So yep. this, we heard about all of these and we thought, well, OK, there must be a way to support them. Um, yeah. And so we saw the need to actually join up some of that infrastructure. And I think that, I mean, you and I have spoken about this diagnostics hub before, PocDoc. We're very happy that we're, we're part of it. It's very exciting for us. Um, and we're big supporters of it, partly because, you know, outside of the standard CE marking process, which is relatively well laid out, which is, you know, you have to do X and Y. And then after you do that, you get your dossier and you submit your dossier and then you get your stamp and so on. Outside of that, it, it, there isn't really a clear pathway as to how you might bring a diagnostic test effectively to market. Now, you, you, once you have a CE mark, you can, you can legally sell it, um, but that's a long way away from actually having a, a real validated, clear route to market, not, not just you know, direct to consumer, but, but particularly within any kind of healthcare organization, whether that's private or, or NHS. And so um, the, what the hub, what I'm really excited about, what, what the, the, the MedCity Diagnostic Hub is going to do is to actually help and support um, diagnostic manufacturers in, in doing that. So whether it's building up external evidence, whether it's, you know, because it's not just clinical accuracy that's an issue with diagnostics. Usability is a massive, massive issue. So, you know, I'm sure you've noticed you, you, with, the, with the rapid tests, you know, if you if you take the sample wrongly, that has a huge, huge impact on accuracy, you know, yeah. so. Yeah, I, 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 absolutely. So and then then sort of we put together what you've just said with then our capability of finding investment, finding yeah. infrastructure, um, linking with manufacturing and linking with HSNs and the NHS. And, and you've got a pretty neat pathway, actually. Yeah. So. Um, anyway, this is sort of work in progress. So maybe um, another time uh, we can, we can come, back, come back and tell our story. Well, yeah, we can do a show about us having been the guinea pig. It's all good. Yeah, for sure. For yeah, sure. It's fine. Um, and I, I mean, from a personal point of view, Steve, though, I, I, and, I, you know, diagnosis is really important for me because we I, actually, I'm, I'm part of a family that was diagnosed with a, a genetic disorder that predisposed um us or at least three out of the five of us with with bowel cancer and it was only through genetic screening that um, I found out th that I was one of the the three that were affected in, in my family and and was able then to have elective surgery right um, un unfortunately my other two sisters it was too late for them and they, they actually did get bowel cancer luckily they're they're both fine right um, so it, it, it's hugely important for me from that point of view. And also, I mean, from a technology point of view, I mean, we still have to go through surveillance and screening. So to have now, in, in fact, a company that, that we've been supporting uh, early on, to, to have a technology that actually takes away the need to go and have a flexible signal endoscopy in mm. hospital because you can actually have it in primary care, perhaps. Right. I mean, that's, that's huge. Yeah, that's a bit like the Disney experience, right? Well, yeah, yeah. And so are you able to t t tell who that company is or is it still under wraps? Um, oh, well, it, the, the company is Surgis, actually. And okay. they've just recently um, started um, uh, doing some work with St. Mark's Hospital, who, who, which is actually the hospital that, that, that I work with. So right. you know, kudos to them. They've been fantastic. Um, 
so yeah it's 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 good i th i think that that i i mean we've talked about this before where even before the pandemic but particularly now after the pandemic there is a growing need for um, point of care solutions that will allow either somebody to test themselves or be tested in a in a out of clinic location or if it's in clinic in an extremely quick easy way so you know if i take cardiovascular disease as an example um, you know one of the things that pockdog wants to do is to, to reduce what's normally a two or three appointment lipid screen follow-up test process assessment into a one-stop 15-minute appointment that potentially even you know when, when we secure um, regulatory approval for self-test that will allow someone to do it at home you know themselves um, and so I think that 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 the need for those solutions is is really really important now and more important than ever and particularly that anything that that is in the early detection you know early diagnosis um, stage is really connected to prevention and now we we well there's been lots and lots and lots of talk over the last you know five ten years that the nhs needs to dedicate more resources to prevention and so i think that that wherever organizations like like yours or any of the others can can actually help develop preventative solutions um that actually provide a better patient experience for example yours with the bowel cancer testing piece that's just a better experience just like, you know, whatever, however, which way you look at it. So anything like that, I think is, is hugely, hugely exciting. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it is challenging, though, isn't it, um, on how to introduce technology to then disrupt an existing pathway. Yeah. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't know how you've been able to sort of cross that one. Well, I think it's... Um, I think it's, well, first of all, it goes back to what we were saying before, is that you have to have a pretty deep understanding of what the current pathway is mm -hmm. to begin with, which in the NHS is not particularly obvious. Um, you have to you, 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 you have to find partners and support, and that's why we've, we've made a big point of reaching out and trying to get involved in as many things as we can do. Um, and then I think that that after that, it's it's a question of trying to adapt what your technology can do to the existing pathway, I, I think is probably the easiest way to go. You know, there are some people that have been able to completely reinvent the wheel, but that's a very hard path. And it's a bit of a, you know, it's, it's a bit of a lottery. You know, I think it's probably easier to try and integrate what you're doing into the overall structure. Um, and the, the key things that have helped us have really been trying to focus on, well, how does this improve efficiency? How does this reduce cost? And how does this improve patient experience? So if you improve patient experience, you're likely to increase compliance, which we talked about at the beginning of the show, and decrease do not attend. Both of those things help, again, reduce cost. So um, it, it sounds a bit sort of, you know, pounds and pence, but ultimately, if you can relate it back to that, then then great. And I, you know, I think, for example, you know, um, uh, a colonoscopy for example is not a particularly pleasant experience having had one myself you know and so like it that i could see that the requirements around that would have a relatively low compliance rate but actually if there is a very a much simpler much more pleasant experience that someone can do then that would increase compliance and also the costs associated with someone contracting bowel cancer are enormous let alone the human factors involved so it kind of makes economic sense as well but no it's certainly not an easy an easy pathway um, to follow and I think also when you're dealing with primary care so GPs and things like that recognizing that each GP surgery is basically a business in and of itself even though it's rolled up into large organizations that's also another factor.
yeah yeah it's definitely not easy to to navigate and um anyway let, let's watch the space as to what's going to be happening with the nhs in in, in yeah i mean I, I so on that i mean you, you, do you i mean some of the clinicians that we we work with have said that they've seen more change in the last 12 months than they have in you know the last 10 years How, what, what's your view about what changes will remain and what may sort of disappear again what do you think in terms of health tech or changes to the healthcare systems here to stay um, well, I, I certainly think, um, you know, wider accessibility in terms of telemedicine and, and virtual consultations and all of those things um, are, are here to stay. And, and yeah. in some respects, it's a matter of, you know, it can be a matter of choice. I mean, um, my husband for the first time signed up for a virtual GP. And oh, yeah. Good on him. <laughs> unfortunately, he was cut off the first time. <laughs> oh, no. Try again. Oh, no. um, but. But, you know, I, if that's, I mean, if it can change him, it can change anybody, I could say. Right. So I think those things will, will stay. I, I think people have cottoned on to the convenience of certain things. But, um, and, and, you know, so online delivery for prescriptions and all, all yeah. those sorts of things. I mean, they were starting anyway. They've gone through the roof now. Yeah. Um, but there is an element of face-to-face that I, I think still needs to exist. And, um you know sadly mental health services and all of those I think have just been you know quite hardly hit and I think the sooner we can go back to some form of face-to-face for that type of um, area I would I would agree I know there's services like Cooth who we've also had on the show and and the number of others that deliver it digitally but yeah I would agree there's definitely a an element where a human face-to-face contact in that context would probably be probably be helpful um so what, um, what, what do you think from a, from a government perspective that the government could be doing or should be doing to keep the pace of health tech development, to keep it going? Um, so I, I think the recent um, investments being done in that area needs to carry on. So um, there, there, you know, I, I know that there is um, a move to continue the funding into med tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, and digital, which is, you know, very welcome. Uh, the work that NHS X has done with yep. the other agencies around uh, simplifying regulation and standards yep. uh, for medtech. Particularly for digital. So NHS X basically is the, for everyone listening, is sort of the, they, the NHS kind of realized that they needed a dedicated arm for digital health services. Um, yep. And that's what NHS X is. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's absolutely right. Um, and I, I think the other thing is also around um, ensuring access. And we've talked about market access a few yeah. times. Um, and I think one of your fe- previous um, guests talked about, you know, Kate, I think, you know, navigation and, and the challenges with navigation to, to get market access. Yeah. So simplifying that, which is what the Accelerated Access Collaborative is, is trying to do, um, alongside NICE and MHRA and Health Research Authority and, and others is, is definitely the, the right thing to do. Um, and I think that all of that will contribute to keeping what has been good around the, the, the pandemic and the take up of technology, mm-hmm. um, as well as, you know, continuing to the you know, the, the encouragement to collaborate, because actually that, that's one thing that definitely shouldn't diminish and we've seen lots of technology that has arisen through some really interesting partnerships that you know you wouldn't have ordinarily seen at pace anyway 
Yeah, no, I think that what would be, what's been clear to me over the last 12 months, certainly from us as well, having experienced this firsthand, is that the, the, the pace of um, development seems to have just gone through the roof. Now, I know that's because we've all been, you know, focused on solving very specific problems, but it would be great to see that sort of continue um, and certainly continue as sort of a, a jewel in the crown of, of, of British tech would be great, I think. Absolutely. Um, so I know that Med City, you, you've mentioned it a few times. You've also got, and you've, you've spent quite, quite a lot of time dealing with something which is often, I think, pushed to the side and, and not necessarily considered so much, which is um, private investment, raising private investment. And I think that that's obviously as an entrepreneur, I think that, I mean, I mean every day we live with how important that, that is. Um, and so I think, but what I find is interesting is that you've actually got and made that a major part of your offering, um, which is the Angels in Med City, which is one of the most prestigious angel networks in the country in terms of raising early stage investments. So um, wh- when did, was that always part of the plan or did that kind of come on at some point? Um, so when we uh, thought about um, what we needed to do as an organization, I've been talking a little bit about community um, but to grow the sector, it, it's not just about translational science and getting science into the NHS innovation. It's all about it, it's also about um, encouraging entrepreneurialism mm-hmm. and the growth of business. So, you know, a couple of, of, of key market failures in this or where, where companies struggle is investment. The other is finding yep. the right research expertise, but we've talked about that. Um, and, and so investment was 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 a key factor for us when we set up and uh, it, it was really early stage investment uh, yeah. that we found when we'd done some research which is where people struggle the most and um, the, the the investors that are likely to invest in early stage companies are, are angel investors well, yeah by definition um, so so we, with, with the help of partners, um, created uh, angels, the angels in Med City or Med City Angels, as, as, as you saw it, and for, for two key aims, really. One is to give opportunities or early stage companies opportunities to pitch. Some of these companies may not have ever gone in front of an investor. So we gave yeah. them pitch training. We looked at their slides. Uh, we've actually got a steering committee that does due diligence on companies. So we, you know, we make sure that they're at the right stage. And uh, Yeah, it's not easy to get on this thing. I can tell you from experience, it's not easy to get on it. But, you know, there's a lot of due diligence that goes on. And only six companies at each event get to actually talk to the investors. Is that right? Yeah, that, that, that's right. And, it, and it's varied, but, but roughly so. So we, we've tended to have sort of two to three pitch events actually um this year we'll, we'll have three to four probably and um the other major objective is is to give some education to investors themselves because angel investors may not be necessarily up to speed with with you know what's trending what's new yeah. innovation the value of investing in life sciences which may not be short term but and, and i also think that your role again you're playing the role of honest broker so you know certainly some of our early stage investors um you know w- w- one of our one of our advisors is a, a guy called Peter Cowley, who's one of the most experienced and prolific angel investors in the UK. He gets literally thousands, thousands of, of pitch decks a year. And so having an honest broker in there to actually say, well, hold up a second, we've actually done some due diligence on these companies. And these, we believe, are the six or seven companies that actually are worth you looking at and looking in real detail, not just skipping through and then dismissing because we actually think there's something in this. I think that's hugely valuable if I was an investor. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, I think it's been a pretty successful program. Um, companies have raised, uh, you know, a significant amount of money that, that, that has then helped them to raise additional sums. So, um, yeah. you know, you need that credibility of getting something before you can then go on to, um, uh, you know, attract more investment for sure. Yeah, I think in health tech, particularly, there's this concept of the value of death, which is sort of between where you've built some, you've proven feasibility, but there's still a huge amount of, of, of development required to get to market, which doesn't really exist within other areas of tech. You know, within other areas of tech, you can move from feasibility to to launch in a really, really short period of time, you know, weeks or months potentially, which isn't really quite the same in health tech, particularly not with some of the things that you deal with advanced therapies. I mean, some of that stuff is like years in the development, but when it comes out, it, it may literally change the lives of millions and millions of people. Yeah, no, absolutely. Cool. Um, so what impact do you think it may or may not have? I know I'm just going to throw this in right at the end, um, but this might be more of a long conversation. But have you seen any impact so far? Do you feel like it is or, or do you feel like the UK has done enough to, to sort of, you know, carry on on its own? I missed I missed the, the impact. Bre- I'm saying, do you, what, what kind of impact do you think Brexit might have ah. um, with us leaving the EU and, and, and on, in this area of, of, you know, health tech, health development research? Oh, gosh, that is a big one. To, yeah, um, we've only got like a couple of minutes. Yeah, going to cut us off. Um, so, I, you know, I, well, I, I, th- I think it's a really important question, actually. And I think it, 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 it to me, uh, what, what we've just talked about in the sorts of things that we're doing in uh, supporting um, uh, research to happen quickly, uh, to uh, review regulation, to enable test beds uh, for innovative technology to uh, be, be piloted and evaluated within clinical systems um, and to have connected health records. I mean, they're all fantastic ingredients for us to be very competitive. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I can't say that, um, you know, I can't say that we're real <laughs> yet because some of these things are in development, but yeah. I definitely see the promise of, of us doing very well absolutely right. so we're in good stead um well look on that note um we've come to the end of the show so neelam thank you very much for coming on neelam patel ceo of MedCity, um and thank you very much to everyone for listening and keep an eye on the socials for uh, next week's guest but yes thank you very much thank you bye-bye Another love so comes along